0: Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt.
0: We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships.
1: If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place.
0: Here we go. We've got something new on the horizon, Sherry.
1: Yeah? What is it?
0: Are you excited? You don't know what it is yet.
1: Yeah. Well...
0: You love coming to these podcast episodes completely unprepared.
1: Correct. But this
0: one is one that I have in the past talked to you about. We're here today to talk about the launch of the Evolution Series. This is our listeners, our readers, people that are in this with us. This is their opportunity to share their stories in a written form for those who are also experiencing... The trauma and the pain and the confusion of alcoholism and recovery from alcoholism for their benefit. This is an opportunity for people to write their stories and we'll get into the details of exactly what that looks like but let's talk first about why we're doing this. You know the feedback we get from our listeners and uh, people who read our stuff, the feedback is very consistent. First of all, we hear from people all the time that our podcast episodes tell their stories. This whole topic of universalisms that we talk a lot about, but you know, maybe the details are different, but basically we're all living the same basic story. And so when people hear you and I talk, they really relate to our experiences and feel like we're telling part of their story. That's one of the consistent pieces of feedback we get. The other consistent piece of feedback that we get when we do go through the writing process with people is that writing is, for many, the most important part of their healing. And the reason is, when people write their stuff as opposed to just talking about their stuff, they're more vulnerable. They go deeper. They're more honest. I mean That's what attracts me to the writing process. I really feel like it's therapeutic and I'm processing a lot of stuff when I'm writing it. Yeah, to some extent I'm writing for the benefit of others, but for the most part I'm writing for the benefit of myself and if it happens to help others that's great. But what a beautiful, wonderful way a therapeutic way to process our stuff by writing about it. So again, those two pieces of feedback is that we're all living the same story and writing about it is really you know, beneficial. And the reward when we write about it is when people relate to it. So I might write something for me, but when I hear from others and they say, wow, that's exactly how I feel, or I can't believe you know the details of my life because you just wrote the details of my life. That's the reward. It makes us feel like we're in community. So you know, I talk a lot about the fact that Shouting About My Sobriety, Shout is the name of our peer support group that we run, Shout Sobriety for Alcoholics, High Functioning Alcoholics that are trying to find sobriety. And the name is, you know, no coincidence. It's 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 not just like lip service. We call it Shout for a good reason because we believe in the importance of shouting our stories. And what it did for me was it didn't just solidify my sobriety, although, and what I mean by that is, you know, there's no going back. When you tell everyone you know, when you tell all your family and your friends that you're an alcoholic and you're now in recovery, you take away all your drinking buddies. Nobody's going to drink with you if they know the trauma that you've been through and that you put your family through. So it solidified my sobriety in that way. But that's, that's not the only way, not just in that there's no going back. There's no Because how many times, Sherry, did I, you know, 10 years of active addiction where I tried to get sober periodically through that 10 years, and each of my attempts at sobriety failed, and one of the reasons that my attempts at sobriety were able to fail was because I didn't tell anybody. You, and sometimes my parents, sometimes your mom, were basically the only people that ever knew that I was trying not to drink. And so it's really easy to go back to drinking when you haven't included your full circle of people in the fact that sobriety is important. Yep. Thanks for your input so far Well, you asked, a
1: qu- you asked a so, I got a
0: question coming up right so
1: here. So, did you want me to say how many times? I don't know. Lots of times.
0: Okay. Thanks. But you just
1: kept going on and answered your own beginning question. Yeah. Well, Sorry. I'm
0: excited. I'm excited I, about I'm, the evolution series.
1: I'm very glad you're excited.
0: Yeah. But that not going back is is only one of the reasons that shouting about my sobriety solidified my sobriety. The other was the connection that it created with others. And this is this is really big. When I started talking openly about alcoholism, You know, a lot of people don't want to use the word alcoholism because they say it's stigmatized. And yeah, I agree, it's stigmatized. But there's two camps in how we battle the stigma. Some people say, let's find a new word. So like the legal, not legal, but the clinical term isn't alcoholism anymore. It's alcohol use disorder. And so, yeah, that's an option. We can destigmatize by changing the world. But won't, won't that phrase just get stigmatized too over time? If the underlying attitude and the shame and all of that builds up around alcohol use disorder, that's going to be just as shameful as alcoholism. So I would prefer to take it head on and talk about it. Talk about our alcoholism and um, you know, remove the stigma because how is someone going to make fun of me for being an alcoholic? How are they going to call me an alcoholic in a derogatory way when I'm already calling myself an alcoholic? So talking about it is huge. And when I've done that, you know, certainly other people with alcohol issues are more willing to communicate back to me and share their stories. But people with any issue are willing to communicate back and share their stories with us because we're being vulnerable. We're opening up and saying, hey, my life's not perfect. Here's a big, messy, crappy part of my life. And other people will say, well, let me tell you about my messy, crappy part of life. It can be a health concern. It can be relationship issues. It doesn't necessarily have to be about alcohol and addiction. And so those connections that shouting about my sobriety has created, and I think connections for you too. You've talked a lot about one, you know, you're one of your very best friends. You have always been friends with her, but once we came out about what we were going through, and she confided in you that she was going through something similar, that's when you two really bonded, right?
1: Yeah.
0: You like yeah. these yes no questions on the live at yes, you? Yes, I do. Do you really feel like a participant here today?
1: I'm thinking maybe you you're should just do pr- this by yourself. You're over
0: there pruning a plant, and that's <laughs> okay. We we should tell our audience that we're recording these back to back. We recorded another episode just a little bit ago, and I think you're done talking. All you're talking is you're yeah, talked
1: out. Yeah, because we have to remember I'm kind of the male in the relationship. I've used all my words already for the day. You've used all your words <laughs> for the day. Well, thanks for
0: being here and looking cute anyway. Well,
1: you have somebody to talk at, so.
0: (laughs) That's all I need, really. (laughs) I just
1: could have a picture of me here, but no, I I think that you're right. It has opened up, and I have, you know, fielded some questions that over the years and um, that I think people have been, like, curious about or want to know how I handle drinking, knowing that you're an alcoholic and... Um, recovery, so you know it's it's definitely opened up more opportunities for questions and relationships. Not always in a great way or a helpful way, but just yeah, hearing about other people's terrible stuff
0: is yeah. hard sometimes.
1: Yeah, so I
0: find yeah. it's harder for me to just have small talky conversation now because we do spend so much time in the deep end of the pool. It's hard to. Oh, so Be what do you do for a living? Yeah. How many kids do you have? Like, I, don't, I don't care.
1: Maybe I, I just always never really care because I don't really, really know what a lot of our friends do for a living. I guess I've never cared to ask. But
0: yeah. Well, I always feel like I've asked once and then they told me and I forgot. So mm-hmm. I can't ask again because mm-hmm. that makes me a lame person. But what this does, this creating connection for me, and I think for you too, is it really has an impact on my self-esteem. And I'm not talking about like the ugly, nasty arrogance that I had during active addiction. I'm talking about just feeling worthy and feeling worthwhile. And when you aren't just talking about superficial stuff, but you're talking about real stuff with people, it makes you feel like your time spent on the planet isn't wasted. That improvement in self-esteem is so important for our mental health. And that improvement in self-esteem for the alcoholic is so important to prevent relapse. Because when you feel good about yourself, there's nothing really to medicate. So being open and talking and sharing our stories has been really, really beneficial. I want to talk specifically and ask you, Sherry, about what it's been like for you to share on this podcast. We started the first episode where you were a guest, this is before you were on it all the time and co-hosting with me, was episode 9. So way back at the beginning. And you poured your heart out and told your story for the first time about what it was like to be married to me as a high functioning alcoholic. And at the time you were timid. You definitely were questioning me as to what is the point of this? Why do I have to do this? I don't understand what the benefit is. Can you talk a little bit about how you felt then when you shared the story for the first time and how that has morphed, how you feel now?
1: (laughs) Um, I didn't think that I would be quite as open the first time when I did it. I thought I would be more reserved, but it's kind of like once I opened up, it just kept pouring out, so... I was a little shocked and surprised at myself.
0: I was too, because you were in a bad mood about the idea of doing that.
1: Yeah, I'm still... I, You're I, still mad about I'm it? still... I mean, I don't... I listen to the ones when we have guests, when it's just you and I. No, I don't listen to that. Who wants to listen to your own voice? Um, so I'm still kind of surprised at how open I am on the podcast. Um, I didn't really think that it would be a permanent gig... The way it has, I guess I'm a little less permanent than you are. You're a staple. Um,
0: Wait, so. are you talking about? Well, I mean,
1: there's been a couple times where I've been gone and you've had to re- you've recorded a podcast without me. We've had, a guest. Me or we've had a guest. yeah, and uh, like um, yeah,
0: but so yours is the story that people are tuning. In yeah, to I, here, don't, so I guess I didn't think permanent. that it was
1: going to turn into. I don't know, maybe a, that
0: scares you that I'm saying that you're pretty permanent. Yeah.
1: Um, I didn't think it was going to turn into a permanent thing.
0: You're more of a one day at a time. You'd, <laughs> you'd rather use the one day at a time terminology.
1: I'll do this next podcast with him and then we'll no, see. No, I don't know. So, um, yeah, I guess that was it. I was, just, I was just shocked at how, and I wouldn't say that I was shocked at how honest I was because it's like I'm just looking at you, you know. Yeah. If it was um, a stranger sitting across from me, and if we hadn't already worked through and talked a lot about this, that would be hard. I mean, I think there are a couple times where there have been a little surprises on my opinion or my recollection of something. or But I think most of the time, because I feel pretty comfortable with you sitting across from me, that made it a lot easier.
0: Has it helped you work through things? Do you feel like sometimes, I know not always, right? Because you're just retelling stories from the past. But sometimes do you feel like you're processing while you're talking?
1: occasionally, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or when we have a guest and then they might bring up something that makes me think about um a situation that was similar in our relationship, how I could have handled it differently or how I'm looking at it from the past viewpoint and how I can like reframe it. So I've I've been educated by our guests for that, sure.
0: That's great. That's really important because one of the things that we're going to encourage people to do is share their story, not for themselves, but for the benefit of others. And you just made a great point. Even though we're years into sobriety and recovery and we do this for a living, working with people, still when you hear, and I feel the same way, when I hear other people's stories, I almost always get a nugget out of that is something that I hadn't thought about yet. And it helps me get better and healthier, and it sounds like it helps you get better and healthier to hear other people's stories. So what we're going to ask people to do with the Evolution Series is to share their stories, not just for themselves, certainly a ton of therapeutic benefit in <coughs> writing out your own story, but share for the benefit of others. I mean, let's treat this like the community that we want it to be. Let's let's share for the benefit of those around us. There is huge power in shared stories. Um, I know... For a long time, you really kind of thought you were alone as the wife of a high-functioning alcoholic. I certainly thought I slash we were alone. I thought there were gutter drunks and there were people that handled their alcohol fine. And I didn't understand that there were literally millions of us that were causing ourselves financial, emotional, relational, career strife. By our drinking and fell into this in-between category of high-functioning alcoholic. Did you feel like you were the only one on your side of the fence for a long
1: time? Well, growing up with my father, who was an alcoholic, and then my you know, I we had alcoholism in our family, and I saw the you know, I saw the effects. I guess I just thought our situation was unique and different in that we stayed together. You were still not like i think that my dad was like a you know uh missing work all the time but it just to me it just seemed a little different yeah um it didn't seem like he was functioning as well as he should have been because i saw him on the weekends when he was drinking i didn't see him at his job yeah. that much monday through friday where he was a clerk in a in a machine shop. So he got all these parts and he knew. And so like like when I think back I think wow his brain must be so filled with he knew where every part was for these tractors and you know customer service knew what to do because he also had mechanics on his side. So I think he was a high functioning alcoholic. I just didn't see it in that frame of mind. So I felt like we were different. I'm not well, saying we're things, better.
0: You're, no I know you're not. But your your mother would outwardly yeah. Not, I'm not trying to make it sound mean, but she would talk about him as an alcoholic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She would talk about and refer to him as an alcoholic and he drank too much. And they were divorced when I was two and my sister was um, around eight. So there was a different, I guess that's why I was also different was because I was trying to keep my marriage intact and... In my mind and what I imagined was it was just fight after fight after fight after fight. And that's what drew the, you know, that concluded the divorce. Whereas we had these breaks in time frames. And that everybody, no one, like, thought of you as an alcoholic. And you didn't act bad in front of people. And you could still get up and go to work the next morning after drinking pretty heavily. So I just thought it was completely different.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And in thinking it was completely different, we also thought we were alone.
1: Yeah, I thought it was unique. I you know, I figured there probably had to be other cases like this, but I just didn't know of any, and I certainly would have never guessed that anybody within a stone's throw of us had an issue like this. So I was shocked when we found out how many people are struggling with this, whether it's their spouse or father or child, adult child or...
0: Yeah, one of the most impactful experiences of my whole life—I'll never forget. Before I started publishing the blog, so before I sent an email blast to everyone I knew and and really just kind of laid it all out on the line that I was an alcoholic in recovery, I told five people for various reasons—five people that I was close to, um, not my five best friends in the world necessarily, but you know, like one of them, for instance, I needed help with starting a blog and so that's why I confided in that person so five people I was close to I told what was going on and each of those five people before I could finish explaining myself were sitting on the edge of their seats waiting to they wanted to talk to and they once I did finally shut up
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's what I was thinking I've heard you say this story before so I'm sorry it's okay. I mean, talk like this, but yeah, when you finally shut up, when I up,
0: finally <laughs> shut up, every one of those five immediately and like, like quickly, like they had to get it out. Told me of their experiences out with alcoholism, a family member, a close family member, um, you know, who had experienced alcoholism and and how that had impacted them. So I was like, whoa, I am five for five on people having similar experiences when I talk openly about this. I wonder what it's going to be like when I talk really openly about that. And that's when the floodgates, I think you said a minute ago, really opened. And, um, you know, the power of the story grows exponentially when it's shared openly. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's what this is all about, the launch of the evolution series that we're here to talk about today. You know, we use the word evolution a lot. Recovery is an evolution. It's not a revolution. There's nothing fast and immediate and shocking and you know powerful takeover worthy of recovery. Our first book we titled Sober Evolution, our recovery group that we have for couples who are in early sobriety and trying to repair their marriage. We call that marriage evolution. So the word evolution is really important to us. There are steps to the recovery cycle that are pretty universal. First of all, obviously, the alcoholic has to to quit drinking, but not just quit drinking. They have to quit for themselves. We run into a lot of couples or I run into a lot of alcoholics where because they relate to our situation where alcohol was causing so much trauma and strife in their marriage, they are quitting drinking or they think they're quitting drinking because their wife's nagging them to quit drinking or because they do legitimately want to save their marriage, but that's the only reason they're quitting. They don't actually think they have a problem themselves. They, they're not worried about their own mental health. They're not worried about their anxiety and depression. They haven't you know, connected the dots yet and realized that the emotional issues that they're dealing with, that they're using alcohol to medicate they're actually caused by the alcohol too. People it takes a long time to draw those conclusions, and certainly it took me ten years. So I'm not making fun of anyone for taking a long time to draw those conclusions. Yeah. But when we meet people that are just quitting because their spouse is making them, or their spouse is bugging them, or there's been an ultimatum, that's not going to work. I can think of zero cases where that ultimately works. I can I've, I can think of lots of cases where people initially stop drinking. For their spouse but eventually come to realize oh they need to do this for themselves mm-hmm. and that's when the success f- comes from so when we talk about the recovery cycle and the steps to the recovery cycle the first step is the alcoholic has to be willing and wanting and able to quit and quit for themselves um, you know the we talk a lot about detachment we talk about how the loved ones the spouse of the alcoholic needs to emotionally detach and work on themselves and stop trying to fix this other broken person. Stop trying to help them find sobriety. Stop trying to pull all the levers and make all the phone calls and set up the appointments and get this person into a recovery program or a recovery plan. The loved one, the spouse, needs to just detach and focus on themselves. But they can't force that. It's very counterintuitive, especially for females. Females are naturally nurturers. I mean you are an excellent nurturer. When we talk about our kids, I think about, you know, the the safety and you know, the real kind of nuts and bolts. Do they have enough clothes? Do they have enough food? Are they going to be in a safe situation? And you think about their emotional Maturity and are they having fun and are they having a variety of experiences you're just a very naturally nurturing person and so as a naturally nurturing person it's not natural to detach and pull away emotionally and go on your own path so these things that we're talking about the alcoholic has to quit but quit for themselves the loved one has to detach these are things that take time There's nothing immediate about it, so that's why the word evolution is so important. What's the saying that we use in our Echoes of Recovery program so much about when somebody makes that shift to whatever it's going to be, the next thing that they're going to do in life?
1: You know when you know?
0: Yep, say it it a little bit louder so people can hear.
1: (laughs) You know when you know.
0: You'll know when you know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so... You can't know until you know, you know?
1: Yeah, and then you can't unknow.
0: So that's why, for instance, in our Echoes of Recovery program, we, we're we not there to convince people to stay in their relationship or to promise them that they can fix their marriage if they just try hard enough. We're likewise not there to tell people to leave their lousy husband because he's no good and and that's what's got to happen. In order for them to get healthy. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, our goal is to share stories. Our stories and the stories of other people in the group. So that people can make their own decision. Because drawing a conclusion prior to getting to that point. It just doesn't work that way. You can't say I'm committed to my marriage and I'm going to make it work no matter what. Oh by the way my husband hasn't stopped drinking. He won't even consider stopping drinking. But I'm going to make this work no matter what. You don't know you're going to make it work. You don't know till you know.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So all of that takes time. That's why this is, again, not a revolution. It's an evolution.
1: Well, and I think just having a variety of stories and different viewpoints is going to be very helpful for both the alcoholic in the situation and the partner of the alcoholic. Because then, as you've learned, Matt, that I wasn't just this unicorn of craziness when you were drinking. These are stories that are shared and feelings that are shared, experiences that are shared that you've learned through our um, Echoes of Recovery program from the partners of alcoholics. So the the non-alcoholic side. So there's nothing really unique that you've discovered about me after hearing all those stories that, wow. That was just the way that people behave in that situation.
0: Yeah, it's it's totally helped me. There were still doubts in the back of my mind. There wasn't a doubt that I needed to get sober, but there were doubts that, yeah, I need to get sober, but maybe Sherry's a little bit crazy. Maybe she's a little bit of a nag. Or maybe
1: her expectations are a little too high. Maybe her viewpoint on alcohol is just a little skewed. I wasn't that bad. You know, those sort of things.
0: Yeah. So. But now... You're absolutely right. Now, through the experiences and the shared stories of other people, I realize no. If if you're crazy, then all of the spouses are crazy. And then I don't like it when I use the word crazy. No,
1: Well, it's really the spouse thing because not everybody is legally married in our group. Oh, so I think partners and it it can be male or female. You know, it can be so. You know, alcoholism is a
0: gender component.
1: There is a little bit of gender component, but But alcoholism is an equal opportunity. 100%. So, equal opportunities. So, also, I feel like I have gained insight when I have heard stories from your uh, shout sobriety people. And I've, you know, um, so I feel like I've heard different viewpoints. Maybe you are a talker, so you are very good at telling me what you're feeling and thinking. And and maybe it gave me some insights to like what my dad was, maybe what some of the things he was feeling because, yeah. you know, I didn't get an opportunity to understand that.
0: Yeah, I think about your dad sometimes too now, um, because and I mean, yeah, he I was, was gone before I. He basically died when I was meeting you.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So I never met him, and I've. Uh, your your mother's not like super derogatory. I, she never talks about him. So mm-hmm. I'm not, but I have heard stories about, you know, she called him, she said he drank too much and that. Yeah. And so that paints a derogatory picture. But now uh, through our experiences, um, I think about the pain he must have been in.
1: Yeah. And I always try to want to decipher that a little bit because he had like a unique childhood in in a lot of ways. So I wonder why his sisters were not the alcoholics when he was, because he had a different childhood than what his older sisters had. Yeah. So it just it's intrigued me.
0: Yeah.
1: And then I then it makes me think, is there some sort of genetic component and like, you know, it and how whatever it is that hits your um your brain the right way, that's maybe what you're gonna be addicted to. So maybe that's just how it was. You know?
0: Well, all of this processing, all of the the thoughts that we're sharing, they're not possible without the shared stories. We don't live in a bubble in a vacuum anymore, thank God. Because when we did, that's just a Petri dish growing shame when you think you're the only one with the problem and you can't get control of something that you think you should be able to control, not realizing that it's just uncontrollable. It's just a Petri dish growing shame. And so the shared stories are so important. So let's get to the, the details of what we're going to encourage people do, to do. Today we're introducing the Evolution Series. This is going to be something that lives on our website Sober and Unashamed. It'll be part of our blog on our Sober and Unashamed website. And we are... Um, when, when we produce blog posts or publish blog posts that are from our listeners, our readers, from people with experiences. And listen, this can be alcoholics, alcoholics in recovery, alcoholics with 10 years of recovery. This is loved ones, spouses, partners, aunts, uncles, parents, anyone who has a story to share about their experience with alcoholism is welcome to submit a story to us for potential publication on Sober and Unashamed under the subheading of Evolution Series. So this is people who are evolving away from alcohol and into whatever is next. Mm -hmm. I think recovery, yeah, that's the first step. But that's that's very limiting. Barbara, who is currently our co-writer on um, sober and unashamed she talks she's talked to me recently about how uh, you know it's not all about alcohol anymore it's about what's next and I feel the same way. I'm not gonna stop growing just because I figured out how to stop drinking. The opposite is actually true. What's the next part of the growth? Sorry for the scratching that was a cat trying to get into mm. our. Fancy broadcast A fancy recording studio. A recording studio. <laughs> but he's in now, so he's happier. But so the point is, we are interested in people's stories, not just their rock bottom moments. There are forums for that. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous, for instance, is a great place to talk about rock bottom stories. And if that's what you want to share, we're interested in that too. But that's not all we're interested in. We're interested in what are you learning now? Where are you evolving? Uh, yeah. It can be it can be around alcohol, or it can be around the things that you're able to process now that alcohol is out of the way. Does that make sense? Am I explaining that well, Sherry?
1: Yes, and I think it could be about like your insights or things you've learned, or maybe reevaluating a memory, putting it into a different context.
0: Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So we want to encourage people to submit stories. For consideration, and this is written form. These this is not this is not part of the podcast necessarily, other than all the work that we do is linked together. But there's so much therapeutic benefit to writing out your story. That's what we're encouraging people to do. Be vulnerable, be honest, share your story with us. Um you know, I think kind of fifteen hundred words maximum, probably. I don't know that we'll have a hard and fast rule about that, but 800 to 1,500 words seems like a a good range to me. Um, You can use an alias if you'd like. While I have found tremendous benefit in shouting my story and being open and honest and using my first and last name loudly and proudly, we understand that there are people for career reasons, for instance, or people maybe whose spouse is still drinking, but that doesn't mean that they can't, as the loved one of the alcoholic, they can't find recovery themselves and part of the process of finding recovery is writing about it. So maybe that person's not willing to use their, their real name and wants to use an alias. Or maybe you're just not there yet. Maybe you're nervous and privacy is important to you. I get it. I get it. Mm-hmm. So you can definitely use an alias. But we encourage people to submit their stories for consideration and to send them to my my email Matt at sober and Matt at sober and and if it's a good fit then we will publish it and we're not going to do a ton of editing certainly we reserve the right to edit anything that we publish onto our website but most of it will be punctuation and grammar just helping people clean clean it up um, so definitely give us your best work because it's not going to be a back and forth where we send you editing suggestions, you send it back, we send it back. It's it's not going to be like that. Um so we're looking for pretty much ready, finished pieces, ready to go. And we're gonna ask that in addition to the written work that the person submit a picture, it can be a, a pic you know, when I post, they're almost all pictures from that I've taken with my camera phone that are of our life, or a picture that I've have found in the archives of our lives. Um, if you're not comfortable with something that personal, that's fine. There are lots of websites that have
1: um, what do free I call it? stock images.
0: Yeah, yeah, public domain I think is the word I was looking for. But yeah, mm-hmm. pictures that you can use um, that might relate well to what you've written. So. We're going to ask you to submit your story along with a picture that we are legally allowed to publish, and uh, that's it. That's it. If it if it looks like a good fit and we feel we feel good about it, um, we're going to publish it in it. And just again to reiterate, yes, there is a therapeutic value for you as the writer to write your story, to send it to us, to let us publish it. If this is the first thing, maybe all you've done so far is listen to the podcast. You um, are afraid to even, I remember Sherry, you've talked about this. You're afraid to even do Google searches about my husband is an alcoholic because you're afraid that that'll come back to bite you in one way or the other. Um, So, if so far the only thing you've done is listen to the podcast and listen, that's a great first step. I don't mean to diminish that, but the idea of sharing is terrifying. Well, then by all means, use an alias. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't, you know, you can. First of all, you have our pledge of confidentiality. If you send us an email, we're not going to share your true identity with anyone. I will literally be the only human that knows your true email address, and I don't need to know anything more than your email address. But even if you're worried about that, create a new Google email account in about 45 seconds and send from that if you want. So we're we're not concerned with your identity. We are concerned with, you know humanity and authenticity and stories that people can resonate with. And so remember, you're you're sharing your story because there's therapeutic value in writing it out, but you're also sharing your story for the benefit of others. And that's the big thing that we want to drive home with the Evolution Series. Yes, we hope it helps you, but we hope you get the benefit of helping others. You don't have to create your own blog to do that. You don't have to set up your own account on Medium or Elephant Journal, and then go out and capture an audience. We've got a ready, waiting, eager audience to hear your story. All you have to do is go through the process of writing it down, find a picture and send it to us. And again, if it's a good fit, if it, if it feels like it's something that our audience will resonate with, then we will gladly publish it for you. So, that's the plan. Evolution Series. I am excited about it. Sherry? Are you excited?
1: I am excited. Not that I don't enjoy your, re- your writings and Barbara's writings, but it'll be nice to capture some people that we haven't ever heard from before. Someone who's not in any of our groups. Um, so I think you that know, would be... Go ahead.
0: I was just going to say, I, I, I think that's an excellent point. Early on with the blog, I encouraged people to Let's make a conversation out of this. Mm-hmm. Reply in the comments. But people don't do that on subjects that are this sensitive. We get a lot of emails from people. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, that's a one one to one conversation. That's not creating community. What we want to do here is create community. You know, work up the courage, spend some time on the writing, give it your best shot, and let's Again, like like you just said, broaden this beyond Barbara and I. Let's let's make Sober and Unashamed a place where we tell stories for many people. And you know, don't let the name Sober and Unashamed fool you. If you're the spouse and you drink occasionally, your stories are still welcome. We are specifically calling this the Evolution series. This is the stories of people that have been impacted by alcohol. Um, we can't rename the website because for SEO reasons and Google search reasons and, um, it would just be a nightmare. We've Mm -hmm. built a following and we're going to keep that following. And so there, there won't be a more generalized name of the website, but this evolution series is for everybody. It's not just for alcoholics who are trying to get sober. You know, the sober majority is a movement. It's one that we are very proud to be a part in leading. And what we mean when we talk about sober majority, uh, at last statistical analysis over 70% of american adults drink alcohol regularly not just once or once in a while but regularly and one of our initiatives one of our goals and hopes is that sometime in our lifetime that number is below 50% you know i don't think we're naive enough to think that we're going to eliminate alcohol from the planet far from it but it it is a reasonable goal to have rather than being ashamed of the fact that you're a teetotaler rather than being ashamed of the fact that you've been afflicted with the disease of alcoholism we want the majority of Americans to to be non-drinkers for the physical and mental health benefits of it and because it's just a great way to live Mm -hmm. and so we want you to be a part of the sober majority again doesn't mean you can't drink it means You're trying to help solve a big, 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 big problem. One that's obviously impacted you or you wouldn't be 40 minutes into a podcast episode uh, that's all about alcoholism and recovery. So be a part of the solution. Be a part of the sober majority. Submit a piece to the evolution series and tell your story. Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three
1: resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org.
0: If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org.
1: No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to soberevolution.org.
0: For my wife Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.